SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program this Friday afternoon, we'll have a story shared with us uh, by uh, NITV's Living Park program, featuring Carla Grant in conversation with talented opera singer and composer Deborah Cheatham. From this conversation, we'll learn how Deborah Cheatham created the first indigenous opera company, Short Black Opera, and learn more about her music career and life. Also on NITV Radio today, leading up to the NAIDOC Cup 2023, Football Northern New South Wales have announced their squad. In the program today, we'll be joined by a Northern New South Wales coach to explore her team's participation in the 2023 popular tournament and their prospects. Also in your program this Friday afternoon, have a conversation with Mitch Tambo about his latest release, Yugal Yulogi, an anthemic song that's breaking download and streaming records. As you'll hear, Yugal Yulogi will be featured in this year's coverage of the Indigenous Rounds on Fox Sports. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. new report reveals Queensland will not meet the deadline to close the gap on First Nations life expectancy. Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles defends his Labour colleague Katy Gallagher who has been accused of misleading Parliament. And four toddlers and two adult, adults injured in a stabbing attack in the French Alps. A state audit in Queensland has revealed there is still a substantial well-being gap for Indigenous people. Indigenous people in Queensland have a life expectancy up to 7.8 years shorter than average, and the health system will likely miss a 2031 deadline to close the gap. The audit also found Queensland Health could not demonstrate how its 23-year framework for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders had improved culturally appropriate care since it was launched 13 years ago. The report made six recommendations on how to close the health gap, including developing a strategy to reduce the rate of Indigenous people missing specialist appointments and discharging from hospital against advice and improving transport to health care services. A Queensland health spokesperson says the organisation was committed to achieving life expectancy parity for Indigenous people in Queensland by 2031. 
opposition Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Partnerships spokesman John Paul Langbrook says he's appalled by the report and claims the government has failed for a decade to implement Indigenous health plans. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has revealed her personal experience with miscarriage. Speaking to the Nine Network, the Premier was asked about bridging the gap for Queensland's Indigenous community and fixing the state's health care system. The state's health minister has previously said Queensland doesn't have the appropriate guidelines for women who experience a miscarriage. A miscarriage. Ms. Palaszczuk says it's something that stays with you for the rest of your life. When I had my miscarriage, it happened, um, this is probably the first time I've spoken about it so publicly, is that I had it um, in my house. I went to work. I was completely in shock. And uh, then I thought I'd better call my specialist. And I went in to my specialist. And uh, he said, I don't think you should be at work. You should be at home. Um, This was uh, many, many years ago, of course, but uh, before I was a politician. But I know the trauma that it goes through with women. It is heartbreaking. It's very hurtful. And you're in shock and you don't know what to do. Ms. Palaszczuk says the health minister is convening a forum to discuss the issue next week. A book written by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates has been launched inside a New South Wales jail. Dreaming Inside is the latest work from a writing program pioneered and run by an 87-year-old elder at Juni Prison in the state's west. The authors and poets say the program has helped break down barriers and free the minds of First Nations men behind bars. One unidentified prisoner tells an ITV the impact the experience has had on his healing. Helps me emotionally. Um and spiritually, I suppose, but mainly emotional. Being stolen as a young child and remembering it, it's been like therapy, writing about it and getting it out. Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles has defended his Labour colleague, Cathy Gallagher, who has been accused of misleading Parliament. The Finance Minister has come under fire after telling a Senate hearing she had no prior knowledge of Brittany Higgins' alleged assault. But leaked text messages between Ms. Higgins and her partner, David Sharaz, appear to contradict Senator Gallagher's claims. On February the 15th in 2021, Ms. Higgins publicly alleged she was raped by Bruce Lahman in 2019 inside the office of the Coalition Minister Linda Reynolds, who they both worked for. Mr. Lahman has consistently denied the allegation. But in one message on February the 11th, David Sharaz wrote, Cathy is going to come to me with some questions you need to prepare for. She's really invested now. Four months later, Ms. Gallagher denied having any prior knowledge of the alleged assault. Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles has told the Nine Network Ms. Gallagher did not mislead Parliament. No, she didn't. And Katie has made her position very clear earlier in the week and she's made clear that she's very comfortable with the statements that she's made. And and that's the, the end of the matter in terms of Katie's position. I mean, Katie is a person of enormous integrity. Uh, it's one of my great honours to work alongside her in this government. A new report has revealed instances of malpractice among six banks in the handling of deceased estates. The Banking Court Compliance Committee says it has found instances of poor practice and non-compliance with the Banking Code of Practice, which includes fees and charges for services no longer provided, failing to act within time frames, as well as a lack of respect and compassion. 
Following the inquiry, the committee has notified three banks that will be commencing investigations into their compliance with deceased estate obligations under the code. The committee also expects the banks not subject to the inquiry to audit their practices regarding deceased estates. The committee is not permitted to name the six banks and can only identify them following formal investigations. Four toddlers, <coughs> sorry. Four toddlers have sustained life-threatening injuries after being stabbed in a park in France. French authorities say two adults, a 22-month-old, two two-year-olds and a three-year-old, were stabbed near Lake Annecy in the French Alps. One of the injured children was British and another Dutch. The alleged attacker, a 31-year-old Sinan man, has been arrested. He has a long-standing refugee status in Sweden and was seeking refugee status in France. Witnesses say the man appeared to be actively targeting children. Police say he had no criminal or psychiatric record and has a child of a similar age to the victims. French Prime Minister Elisabeth Borne says the nation is in a state of shock. So I say again, he is a person who has refugee status in Sweden within the European Union. And I think before getting carried away on this subject, I am waiting for the investigation to take place. I believe that today is the time for emotion. It must be a time of unity, of solidarity with these children, with their parents, with their family and with all the inhabitants who are obviously shocked by what happened. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has visited the flooded southern region of Kherson following emergency-scale flooding from the destruction of a huge dam. After meeting with local authorities to discuss emergency and evacuation operations in flood zones, President Zelensky visited a hospital filled with flood victims in Kherson. There is a shortage of doctors as many of them left due to the war. I understand your needs. We will help you. We are grateful for your work. You are heroes. At least 15 people have been killed and about 600 square kilometers of the Kherson region is underwater. Nearly 2,000 people have already fled affected areas. U.S. President Joe Biden and British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak say their countries will partner on advanced technologies, clean energy and critical minerals. The two leaders met at the White House to sign an an agreement they call the Atlantic Declaration. Mr. Sunak described it as a first-of-its-kind economic partnership on artificial intelligence. Post-Brexit UK has been hoping for a free trade agreement with the US under the leadership of Rishi Sunak, but such an agreement has not materialized. However, the two countries were, were brought closer when it comes to future technologies in front of challenges posed by authoritarian regimes. And Mr. Biden says with this agreement, emerging technologies would be kept within countries sharing democratic values. When it comes to technology that will shape the future, like semiconductors, quantum computing, artificial intelligence. The UK and the US are working together to make sure they are developed safely and responsibly and jointly. We're going to do more on joint research and development to ensure the future we're building remains fundamentally aligned with our value set in both our countries. 
BACOM, federal, state and territory governments have all committed to a national disability database. A statement from the Ministers for the National Disability Insurance Scheme and Social Services says the national disability data asset will improve research, policy development, service delivery and ensure targeted government funding for people living with disability. The NDDA will deliver a single source of information combining Commonwealth, state and territory data on people with disability. This will include information relating to employment, health, education and support services accessed. The Commonwealth has committed a total of $68.3 million, while each state and territory government will provide up to $1.36 million for their role in delivering data. The first results for the National Disability Data Asset will be available in 2024. And in sport, the Special Olympics World Games are about to take place in Berlin between the 17th and the 25th of June. 64 athletes from the Australian team are preparing to fly out for the event on Sunday, the 11th of June. The 16th edition of the Games will see athletes living with an intellectual disability or or autism gather in the German capital. An estimated 650,000 Australians live with such a condition. Elisa Harrick is a 29-year-old Lebanese swimmer with Dandy Walker syndrome who will be competing in the Games this year. She, she says she started swimming at a young age with no expectations of becoming a professional swimmer. When I get into the water and swim, I forget everyone. Because when you do what you love, you forget the world and don't feel the time passing. When I get into the water, even if I do a mistake in the water, swim wrong or finish fifth instead of first, I don't care because I learnt that, true, I have special needs and people sometimes look at us as if we are weird, but we learnt that we have a role and that no one can do it for us. And now having a look at the weather around the country this Friday afternoon, Broome, partly cloudy 32, Perth showers 19, Adelaide a shower to 15, Melbourne showers easing 15, Hobart a shower to 13 degrees, Albury Wodonga mostly cloudy also 13, Canberra partly cloudy 13 degrees, Wollongong similar conditions at the top of 19, Sydney mostly sunny 20, Newcastle sunny 21, Brisbane sunny as well and 25 degrees, Townsville sunny 26, Cairns, partly cloudy, 28. Alice Springs, sunny day, 22. Darwin, sunny, 33. And the Torres Strait Islands, a sunny day ahead and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. What our ancestors invented was a sophisticated and robust civilization. The groundbreaking new series. We're rewriting the history of Australia. The First Inventors starts 8.40 Thursday on 10 and NITV. I'm Bertrand Kandami and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, we'll hear about the creation of the first indigenous opera company, Short Black Opera, and more about Deborah Cheatham's musical career. 
And leading up to Nido Cup 2023, we'll explore the 2023 edition of the very popular tournament with Northern New South with the Northern New South Wales squad coach. Also in the program, we'll be joined by Mitch Tambo to learn more about his latest release, Yugala Yulugi, an anthemic song that's been selected to feature in this year's Indigenous Round coverage on Fox Sports. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. And now our story brought to us by NITV's Living Black program. This episode of Living Black, Carla Grant is in conversation with talented composer and opera singer Deborah Cheatham. Deborah has written two operas, formed Australia's first indigenous opera company, Short Black Opera, received an order of Australia and has been a Sydney World Pride ambassador. She's had an incredible career and isn't slowing down. After this, you you were lucky enough to go to New York and, and study at the Metropolitan and Juilliard School and, and came back to put all of that period of your life into your first work, White Baptist Abafan. Yeah. Can you tell us about that piece and was it mm. cathartic to write? You know, that's a great question. It was cathartic to write. Monica was heavily involved in that she agreed to read the letter that she had written to me explaining the truth about my beginnings. So she reads that letter in the play. It's her recorded voice. And as her voice trembles towards the end, particularly after she explains everything she'd been through, as she reaches the end of that letter... She actually asks my forgiveness for not being there when I needed her. And like that just, that would destroy the audience night after night after night. You'd hear people reaching for their hankies and their tissues and, and for people sobbing. That play, White Baptist Aberfan, uh, was a defining moment in my career, certainly, but a defining moment in my identity. Fast forward to 2006, you made the move to Melbourne where you met your ex-partner, Tony Lalich. You both discovered a shared love of opera and out of that you created the Short Black Opera Company. Yeah. Why did you want to create your own opera company? Well, Short Black Opera came about because of the lack of imagination of main stage opera companies in Australia. I'd been singing for a good 20 years uh, when I moved to Melbourne, but I'd had no success at all at being included in the main stage opera companies. And in fact, they'd overlooked First Nations everything and had probably no intention of doing anything about it until Short Black Opera started to uh, make waves. Nowhere in the material I've read about you have I seen mention that your career has suffered from racism, but was that ever the case? I think it's I think it's still obvious. Opera Australia have just appointed a brand new artistic director. Uh, a lot of th- a lot of people around the world thought that that would be me, but they weren't ready to. They're still not ready for Aboriginal leadership in our main stage companies. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lack of understanding of what it is that we that, that we contribute to society 
and that is the longest continuing music practice in the world for starters. In fact, the longest continuing everything in the world. I think there's I think I've faced racism my entire career. The reason that I haven't spoken about it is that that then becomes the focus of the conversation rather than what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do to make my career meaningful to others and create a pathway for others so that they don't have to miss out? And I didn't want them to be excluded in the way that I had been excluded. Having gone through the process of applying for that the position of the artistic director of Opera Australia and not being appointed to that role, I had to accept for myself that I have been excluded from main stage opera and will be excluded from main stage opera my entire career. And that even still at my age with the success of Short Black Opera, uh, that is that is a really big deal. That is something that you really have to sit down and say, right, I have to accept this, that Australia was not ready in my time, but I tell you what, they're going to be ready for the next person. And that's the whole point of Short Black Opera. You wrote, composed and performed in Australia's first Indigenous opera, Pecan Summer, which was first performed on country at Marupna in 2010. It would be formed across five productions. Why did you write this opera and how important is it? I wrote Pecan Summer because whilst I wanted to encourage First Nations singers to pursue careers in the world of opera, what were they going to sing? that was more meaningful than something that related to their own their own personal history. Of course, Pecan Summer tells the story of the walk-off from Cumbragunja Mission Station, which had lasting repercussions for Australians across the continent. It's a really important story to tell for all Australians. But the perfect vehicle to encourage a First Nations opera company to grow and that's exactly what it did over those five productions. She's my daughter, you performed in Pecan Summer at the Sydney Opera House in 2016, the place where you first saw an opera performed. Did you feel like you'd come full circle? How did it feel to perform at a place where some of the greats, like you know Dame Joan Sutherland, had performed? I know it was it was absolutely amazing to actually take Pecan Summer into the concert hall. I had to make that happen at the opera house, and and we did it, and it was. Hugely successful. I think we won nine Broadway World Awards that year. Now, sadly, your birth mother, Monica, never got to see Pecan Summer, passing away two weeks before it was launched. What do you think she would have thought of it? She would have been really proud and she would have wanted to have a go at singing opera. I reckon Monica would have wanted to go. She would have wanted to be in it. You've won several awards, including a Helpman Award, the Melbourne Prize for Music, a Queen's Birthday Honour. Do you feel like you've done enough? Oh, there's so much more still to do. There's so much more still to do. Uh, 
I want to see uh, our state orchestras populated with First Nations musicians. Uh, I want to see the boards of our major companies that receive the bulk of the funding uh, from uh, the Australia Council. I want to see First Nations people on those boards. I want to see Indigenous leadership at the top of all of our arts companies. Um, That may or may not be me in time, but it will come and I'll know that Short Black Opera has played a pivotal role in bringing it about. Now, in 2021, you debuted your second opera, Pa Wang Lifts the Sky, but the COVID pandemic cut it short. Are you hoping that it will get another run? I'm really proud to say that uh, Victorian Opera have very graciously said that they are willing to uh, do a co-pro with Short Black Opera. Short Black Opera will present... Pa Wang Lifts the Sky in the first week of July at the Arts Centre Melbourne. In 2023 uh, is going to be a big year for Short Black Opera, but it's going to be a very rewarding year. This year you've played a very prominent role at the Sydney World Pride event. Why are events like this so important? It's really important to bring together community in this way, you know, whether it's First Nations community or whether it's the gay and lesbian or LGBTQI community, it's really important that we come together and recognise our humanity in one another and strengthen our own sense that we can leave this world a better place than we found it. It's also important for our community just to celebrate who we are and everything we contribute to the world. Some news that would have been fairly new to you when we began this interview, and that is that um, earlier this year in January, I was married to my partner, Nicolette Friand, and on this occasion, it was particularly significant because I was only just a month married to my partner, Nicolette, and she conducted this performance, and it was our first opportunity to work together in that way. So a very significant event for Nicolette and myself. Do you feel like the world is becoming increasingly intolerant or or tolerant when it comes to people's sexuality and freedoms to be who they are? That's a really good question. I um, I think intolerance still exists. And wherever it exists, in even small measure, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It can be a handful of people that can act great trauma upon a much larger group of people. Intolerance, it's, it's not a numbers game. Wherever it exists, it needs to be eradicated. I feel that there is a greater capacity to understand And it's in the understanding that we build a cohesive society, that we build an inclusive space that is free from the kind of aggression that comes from ignorance and fear. After your ambassadorial role at Sydney World Pride, what's next for Deborah Cheatham? I have recently been appointed the Elizabeth Todd Chair of Vocal Studies Uh, It's a three-year appointment and um, just a wonderful opportunity to to have an impact on the life of uh, that next generation of of singers and uh, of composers who will come through the Sydney Conservatorium. 
So for all of those young First Nations musicians that we've been training through Short Black Opera all of these years, if they can see that the the Chair of Vocal Studies at Australia's premier conservatorium is a Yorta Yorta woman, then I think that is cause for celebration and also I hope that that will serve to inspire. Well, Deborah, it's been wonderful speaking with you today. Thank you for being so open and honest in sharing your story. My great pleasure. Thank you. And that was the very talented and fascinating Deborah Cheatham. Her opera, Parwang Lifts the Sky, returns to the stage later this year. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. Coming up next, well, we have a story about uh, the upcoming NIDOC Cup 2023. A story produced by NITV Radio's Sierra Shredder. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. After the success of the 2022 NADOC Cup, the Legacy Competition is back this year and we will see teams from Football New South Wales and Northern New South Wales Football go head-to-head in July. This event is not just about football, but creating an inclusive community that recognises and celebrates Indigenous culture. I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Alicia Lyons, the NADOC Cup coach from Northern New South Wales football team. So first of all, thank you for joining us today on NITV Radio, Alicia. So the NADOC Cup was a great success last year and now it's back. How would you describe your level of excitement for this tournament and where will it be held this year? Um, I'm excited by the depths of the squad. So already we've had a training session. Um, this year it's a bigger tournament and I look forward to taking the kids away and being competitive against Football New South Wales. Uh, this year it is being played at Valentine Sports Park in Sydney. So coaching for the Northern New South Wales team in the Cup this year, is um, it's a fantastic opportunity. Can you sort of share what it means to you personally? Yeah, for me it was an honour to be selected again by Northern to represent them and coach for them in the 2023 NADOC Cup. Um, it gives me an opportunity to represent my culture while doing what I love. Could you actually provide some insight into the selection process for the squad? Uh, are there all these kids from all over New South Wales? Yeah, so players for the NADOC Cup, uh, Northern New South Wales called for an EOI for registered players to be selected. Um, the selected coaches met on two occasions to determine the squads. I believe we had 82 players express their interest and... 63 of those were selected from a mix of community and Premier League clubs. So the Football Legacy Program focuses on involving First Nation kids in football. So from your perspective, why do you think opportunities like the NADOC Cup are significant for First Nation kids in terms of their engagement? And how would this actually encourage more First Nation kids to participate in the game? Um, I guess, you know, to be able to represent your culture while playing football is a big thing for First Nation children. It gives them that sense of belonging, that, that they're being accepted. You know, the country itself is moving forward and showcasing that First Nation children, you know, can play higher levels of football. So lastly, what message would you like to send to players, supporters and the wider community about the significance of the NADOC Cup and the Indigenous representation in football? It provides us an opportunity to showcase our First Nation children, that they can play at higher levels. The NADOC Cup being played each year 
you know, gives them that opportunity to work towards to achieve, to be selected um, and showcase their own potential. Awesome. Well, I hope it all goes well and we're really looking forward to hearing about it. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Lisa, thank you very much for taking your time to speak with us uh, today on NITV Radio. Thank you. Have a good day. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Now, the world's largest sand island, located off the coast of Queensland, has officially been restored to its traditional name of Gari. It comes after decades of campaigning from the Bachelor people to change it back from Fraser Island. Katrina Stewart reports. A ceremony attended by hundreds of traditional owners and government officials to reclaim a traditional Indigenous name. Fraser Island, coined by colonisers and named after shipwreck survivor Eliza Fraser, has been reinstated as Gari, meaning paradise. The Butchala people have for thousands of years used that very name to refer to the island, with the move considered by many to be righting an historic wrong. Way back in the first time, Beryl, the god who lived in the sky, sent messenger Yindinji down to make the land and other things. Gari is spiritual created. Chair of the Butchala Aboriginal Corporation, Auntie Gail Minikin there, relaying the origins of Gari before it was called Fraser Island in the 1830s. This name paid tribute to Scotswoman Eliza Fraser, who was shipwrecked there, a name deemed culturally inappropriate by the Butchala people, as Eliza Fraser wrote a now-debunked account depicting Aboriginal people as barbaric, cannibalistic savages. 191 years, people have been told this place is called Fraser Island. This place name has now been changed, and the Butchala people have reclaimed their country's name. And as it was in the beginning, it never shall be Gari. The Queensland government sought community feedback to officially change the World Heritage-listed island's name in August last year, receiving almost 6,000 public submissions, with the majority in favour of the name change. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk praising the change as a step towards treaty. Acknowledging the wrongs of the past in order to build a better, brighter future. In the spirit of reconciliation, we can move forward with mutual respect, recognition and a willingness to speak and hear the truth of our shared history. One of the ways we can support this commitment to statewide truth-telling and healing is by restoring Indigenous language place names. The Queensland government last month passed the Path to Treaty Bill, which promotes steps towards reconciliation between First Nations people and the Queensland government. Queensland's newly appointed Minister for Treaty, Kondamuka woman Leanne Enoch, says this name reclamation is a long-awaited moment in history. A truth that every visitor to this place has been breathing in, whether they knew it or not. Today, all of us can now benefit from the reconciled truth of what this place has always been called, Gari. That truth 
that we are now speaking back into this land becomes part of our combined truth, the Batchelor truth, the people of Queensland's truth, the people of Australia's truth. To coincide with the restoration of Gari, more than 19 hectares of land was transferred to the Butchala Aboriginal Corporation. Katrina Stewart, SBS News. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Yamaha Mitch. Now you've just released another truck, another anthemic truck that's uh, so powerful it's just even been picked up to feature in uh, the this year's Indigenous Round. Tell us about this new truck. Yeah, new track's titled Yugu Yuligi, bit of a tongue twister. Yugu Yuligi, which means song dance, and it's just all about coming together with your community, your loved ones, your village if you like, being out under the open night sky and just letting go of all the weight of the world and just getting set free in celebration. But the posing question being, when the sun rises tomorrow, will you walk in that new freedom Will you walk having let go of everything or will you carry it all back into your future? And that's what it's really about. So um, I'm really blessed to have it out. Really pumped that Fox Footy took it on board for Indigenous Round and um, that we got to perform it for the opening too up there in Suncorp Stadium and got to do half-time for Sydney Swans vs Carlton. It's been an incredible release and just really blessed to have it out, to be honest, brother. Yeah, you girl, you look can you tell us a little bit more about the choice of uh, this title? It's in your language, Gamilaroi language as usual. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, your choice of uh, this title. Yeah, so Yugo Yuligi means song dares, and I think it just goes without saying, you know, the power in movement, the power in song, um, the healing um, that comes within music and dance and that kind of movement. And um, also, you know, we all have a song um, that is a soundtrack of our life, or we've got many a songs that you know, take us back to certain memories and things. But this in particular is about the power of song and dance in terms of celebration and in terms of letting go and being set free. Yeah, it's already, you know, setting new records uh, with downloads and, uh, uh, you know, being streamed all over the country. Were you expecting that it would be picked up for the Indigenous round? Oh, look, there's never any expectation. You always just put a song out and you're kind of hoping for the best, you know, and it's... It's all about, I think, not getting caught up and doing what you think people might like and all about, you know, just creating and, and doing what got you to where you are in the first place. And sometimes that can be really hard, but, you know, the key is, is just to try and create and have fun and put something out you really love and believe in and the hope that others will love it. You know, I think when you get caught up in trying to do something you think people will like is where you can kind of start to fall off what makes you unique, if that makes sense. And, um, so you know, with this song, we just did it. It's something that, just really loved and I really believed in and and just really put it out in the hope that um people would feel the spirit of the track, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. And he said that uh, this song, which is self-penned, you wrote it yourself and uh, produced it, it transcends language barriers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a song that um, is quite cinematic, a tan-semi it's a really big sound like if you've got a great sound system i think you're going to love it because um there's so much happening in the production sort of really catchy hook and um you know easy i think for people to sing along to and that kind of thing and i think we've done it in a way where you know obviously knowing that people can't understand but where it just feels really empowering the music yeah and i think i've been able to keep really integral to who i am as an artist in terms of the way that i'm singing it and 
the way that I'm I'm putting it out there. I wanted it to feel almost like my older stuff meets my new stuff, um, where you can feel that sort of authenticity and also feel where I've come from and where I'm going. If that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I know you're very busy today with uh, interviews and uh, other commitments. Just a closing word for our listeners. Yeah, look, I mean, anyone out there listening, I just really appreciate your support. I'm just really humbled by it, and I just thank you for taking on, you know, something different and embracing it and making it a part of your catalogue and a part of your journey. And so anyone out there that's uh, on the fence about putting something out there or doing something, my advice is just do it. Dare to be you. Dare to be your beautifully unique self. And, um, you know, let's just keep creating a world where we don't have to sacrifice who we are and we can just be authentically ourselves and that can be celebrated and acknowledged and just embraced. I think that would be such a beautiful thing. And, you know, massive shout out to you, brother, because you've supported me from day one. And I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart because every release that I've ever put out, you've always um, supported it, always gave me the platform to jump on your incredible show and have a chat with you about that. And I just want to thank you so much for you know, being on my journey and supporting my music, it really means the world. And although I'm flat out today with other interviews, I just want, you know, to make a point of just really honouring your show and all your hard work and thanking you for, you know, honestly showing up every single release and supporting me and giving me a platform to celebrate my language and identity. Thank you so much, Mitch, because you produce such a wonderful music. We wouldn't uh, just uh, sit by and uh, not talk about it because it's inspirational. And this one is also about healing, which is even uh, better. So congratulations again on a great new release and uh, talk to you soon, Mitch. Thanks, brother. Take care. Much love to you and your family. Thanks heaps. That's all we have for NITV Radio this Friday afternoon. I'm Patron Tomandami, thanking you for your company today and wishing you an excellent and safe weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yalup.